Asia Pacific Currents. News and labour issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at 9 o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. All views of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Links. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the 21st of September. It's a beautiful spring morning, lots of hay fever. As well, this is Asia Pacific Currents, and I'm Giselle Hanna, and I'm Pierre Morrow. And uh, no, my hay fever hasn't quite started. Those uh, plane trees haven't uh, quite in full uh, bloom, but it does remind me that uh, in a few weeks I have to wear a little mask. But anyway, um, we were listening to a very nice song there in between. Um, uh, there from uh, Solidarity Breakfast, Pete Seeger, which side are you on? It's a and good version, I like that. It is, it's very good. And obviously, if you're listening to this uh, program, you're on the right side and you're on our side. So, um, well well done, listeners. Not, not, well, I, I'm not sure that's the criteria, Pierre, but, but I'm not going to... <laughs> Go into the details of why that is utterly, utterly incorrect. All right. Well, anyway, uh, thanks to um, Solidarity Breakfast and, and of course, Asia Pacific Army brought you by Australia Asia Worker Links every week. And those details, Giselle. That's right. If you want to get in touch with us, find us on the web or the w's.aawl.org.au. We're on Facebook and Twitter. Find us on those social media platforms. And you can also email us at aawl at aawl.org.au. And on today's program, we'll have our usual news roundup of uh, labour issues around the Asia-Pacific region. And uh, But in the second half of the program, we'll be talking to Aaron Milvaganam, who is a refugee activist, uh, but also a member of um, the Finance Sector Union, Giselle? He, he's not a member. He's an oh, organiser organizer. for the FSU, Finance Sector Union. Yep. Uh, and he is also uh, the, a founding member and leader of the um, Tamil Refugee Council. So we will be speaking with him about the recent federal court decision in the Priya and Nadez uh, matter, but also where to from here because the refugee application of the youngest daughter still needs to be heard. That's right. So that'll be about uh, quarter past nine o'clock or thereabouts. Depends how quickly we go through our news items, which we've got a, a few interesting, as always, go Giselle. There, we're going to start in Jordan. While Jordan has managed to stave off large-scale demonstrations at neighbouring countries of experience during the Arab Spring years, the economic conditions for most workers uh, remain dire. More than 100,000 public school teachers have been on strike since the start of September, demanding a 50% pay rise to their near-poverty-line salaries. The teachers are demanding the government honour its five-year-old promise to boost salaries 50% since they, like most Jordanians, suffer high inflation, abysmal living conditions and exorbitant costs of living. Around 1.3 million public school students have not attended classes since the start of the year because of the strike. The government response has been to say it doesn't have the money and any wage increase would be tied to teachers having to publish independent research. (laughs) Unbelievable. (laughs) This is what's happening in higher education here. 
take outside courses and attend academic seminars in order to qualify. It's a, it's a bizarre response, really. Um, but now we go to nearby to Iran, where unfortunately there's more repression against Iranian workers. Earlier this week, police attacked workers from the heavy equipment production company uh, HEPCO, in the central city of Arak, which is just south of Tehran, who were protesting against months of non-payment of their salaries. Reports indicate that 15 workers were injured, while another 30 to 40 were arrested. The workers were also protesting against the privatisation of this company, which has uh, left the once productive company in shambles. And the, um, it now only has a workforce of around 1,000 workers, compared to a few years ago of a workforce of 8,000. These workers had already demonstrated against the privatisation of the plants in mid-2018, which had resulted in another uh, or previous 15 workers being sentenced for up to two years in jail and 74 lashes for disrupting public order and instigating workers via the internet to demonstrate and riot. Um, in Iran, privatization of state-owned comp- companies are used by the new o- owners as uh, cash cows, really, because they can uh, receive more loans, engage in unrelated import businesses, or to use the business to acquire cheaper dollars from the government. So they basically, um, it sounds like they just uh, destroy them. And um, yes, all the best to all the workers. That's all I can say. Well, the situation in Kashmir and India continues to deteriorate. Following on from its crackdown and occupation of the state of Kashmir, the Indian government is now planning to establish mass concentration camps on the other side of the country in the state of Assam. In keeping with its xenophobic, actually I would call it chauvinist and nationalist politics, the Modi government has declared that close to 2 million people in Assam are not Indian citizens and are illegal immigrants. The government has stated that people can appeal their status, but for working class people, providing a birth certificate or a land title is an impossibility due to isolation, poverty and lack of infrastructure. The Indian government is already moving ahead with building 10 large concentration camps where people will be forced to reside in. Most of the people classified as non-citizens are Muslims. And the interesting thing of that is uh, the Indian government says that they've uh, illegal migrants from uh, Bangladesh who may have been there for generations. But, of course, Bangladesh says they're not our citizens. So, um, again, you know, we are seeing more and more in the world all these stateless people who basically just rot in these concentration camps. Well, actually, I think what we should uh, and do call India is is fascist. I think the building of concentration camps, the herding of Muslims um, to put them into those centres, the offensive against. I don't. There's. I just don't think there is any other way to to describe or analyse that. You've heard it first here on Asia Pacific Currents. Um, maybe we'll have to have a, um, a another bit of a chat with India, uh, with Indian activists in the last next few months to work out uh, where where it all means and what we should call them. But anyway, we stay in India. We now go to south of India to the um, to the southern city of Bengaluru, the capital of Karnataka state, where thousands of garment workers um, took to the streets this week to protest the non-implementation of a new minimum wage. 
Now, last year in February, the state government had issued a notification that the minimum wage was going to be increased from 117 US dollars a month to 171 US dollar a month, which um, it's quite a big increase. So obviously, the workers were very excited. But that very quickly, under pressure from employers, this wage increase was quickly rescinded and has never been replaced. Um, the garment industry is an expanding sector in and around Bengaluru, with over 1,200 garment factories employing almost half a million workers, of uh, whom the great majority are women. And in Bangladesh, uh, last week, hundreds of workers at a ready-made garments factory of the NASA Group took to the streets, demonstrated for two days demanding outstanding wages and other benefits for workers who had been fired. The workers claim that the company sacked hundreds of its workers without reason after Eid al-Adha, and these workers then excuse me, received, uh, did not receive any redundancy payments. The demonstration was later baton charged by police with four workers needing hospitalisation for the injuries they received. The dispute is ongoing. Uh, obviously, the garment industry is under a lot of pressure, and so are the workers. And um, this is a um, just a general news item, really, about uh, corporate social responsibility, which we've, we've talked about it before in this program, that while businesses and governments state that corporate social responsibility, or CSR, is the best strategy to safeguard workers' health and safety, the reality for workers is very different. A new report has once again put the spotlight on the fraud that CSR represent. The report, titled Fig Leaf for Fashion, How Social Auditing um, Project Protects Brands and Fails Workers, is a tool for the multi-billion dollar social auditing industry that protects brands' reputation and profits, but fails to protect the safety of garment workers. The report goes on to say that not only is CSR not useful, but in many cases it actually aggravates risks to workers by covering up issues. Now, as we know, independent unions are the most effective way to improve workers' conditions and pay. Now, Giselle, I wonder how many um, reports and how many times we'll have to say it because before people just even drop the whole uh, uh, facade of, of having CSRs. Yes, well, actually, and also confronting the reality that even the best bosses who might want to meet workers' wages and conditions and demands are incapable of doing that under capitalism and that what is required is the the tension point on that class line. There you go. You've heard it again. You're in good form this morning, Giselle. <laughs> we are going to Japan. Eight years after the Fukushima nuclear disaster, a Japanese court this week cleared three former executives of the firm operating the plant for pro- of professional negligence. The three former executives, ex-chairman Suniha Katsumata, uh, who's 79, Vice Pre- President Sakaimoto, 69, and Ichiro Takakuro, 73, quite. Quite aging, the executive team of this company. When you say jobs are for life, they mean it. Yes. Uh, They'd been indicted for failing to implement tsunami countermeasures. The disaster occurred in 2011 following a major earthquake when the Fukushima nuclear plant, operated by TEPCO, which is Tokyo Electric Power, Uh, It was hit by a tsunami causing a triple meltdown. More than 470,000 people were evacuated from their homes as a result. 13 people were injured in hydrogen explosions at the plant, while more than 40 hospital patients in the surrounding region died. 
after having to be rushed out of the evacuation zone. During the court case, the prosecution argued that as far back as 2002, the bosses had been warned that a large tsunami of more than 15 metres would override the existing defences. The company chose to ignore this and uh, didn't increase any of its defences. No other person is facing criminal charges for the Fukushima disaster. So uh, pre-warned, nine years before the disaster, and... No, no prosecutions. That's right. As I saw a comment on social media that um, uh, they said, uh, oh, it must be the janitor's um, fault. Um, so that's the um, – and, of course, uh, I read recently another um, news item about um, that, that um, while the cleanup operations are still ongoing, the, um, the operators have now got the, the problem of what to do with uh, – well, apart from the contaminated soil that they're burying it in a – big pit nearby, but of millions of litres of radioactive water, which is just piling up and being stored because they don't know what to do with it, because it'll be radioactive for hundreds of years. So that's the uh, news roundup for uh, Asia Pacific this week. It's just on 13 past 9 o'clock. You're listening to your favourite community radio station, 3CR Radio. We'll go to a couple of community announcements, and then we'll be back um, with the story with uh, Aaron Mulva-Ganam and the um, uh, issue of the Tamil family facing deportation. Red alert. Numbers are needed at the Japurang Heritage Protection Embassy camps immediately. Sacred birthing trees on Japurang country need protecting. Over 50 generations have been born on these sites and the birthing trees themselves are 800 years old. These trees are being protected from the Victorian Labor Party's planned highway extension that is set to destroy this sacred dreaming landscape. The campaign to protect country is led by Japurang traditional owners who are calling on people from all walks of life for support. You can help by joining traditional owners at the camp on Japurang country near Ararat or by donating and putting pressure on Daniel Andrews to protect this sacred land. Visit dwembassy.com for more information and updates. No trees, no treaty. Hey, this is Nick from Pinyao. You're listening to 3CR. Please support community radio and your local music scene. Subscribe now. Give money back to the people that give music to you. It's 15 minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents. We're joined now by Aaron Mulvaganam, who is, uh, he, he is himself a refugee, but is also an activist and one of the founding members of the Tamil Refugee Council, uh, also an organiser with the um, Finance Sector Union. Of course, listeners will be aware of the recent federal court uh, matter in the case of Priya and Nades and their um, ongoing attempts to stay in Australia. Aaron, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me, Giselle. Uh, um, so we d- just get us up to where we are now. We know that uh, there is uh, an attempt to put in another um, application for asylum for the youngest daughter. How is that possible? And also, what does the federal court ruling mean as far as that protection application is concerned? So Tarunika was born after Piria and her uh, first daughter uh, put an application for uh, asylum. 
Uh, under the current uh, fast-track process, refugees need to be invited to make an application, which means the minister has to lift the bar and, and invite refugees to make an application for asylum. Uh, and in the case of Tarunika, uh, she was born here. Uh, her, you know, her parents' application were made before she was born here. Therefore, her asylum application has never been um, assessed. Uh, she was never invited to make an application. And, and on those uh, grounds, uh, the injunction uh, was granted um, when they were to be removed from Australia on 30th of August. Um, and, you know, we had few hearings at uh, federal court and uh, the judge has uh, decided that the matter should go to a full hearing uh, where uh, it'll be decided at trial uh, whether the government should allow Tarunika to put in an application for asylum. Um, and, uh, and if we're successful at the federal circuit court, federal court, um, Tarunika will be asked to put in an application uh, and that needs to be assessed properly um, and, and based on the outcome, uh, we will know whether they will be allowed to stay here uh, or not. Uh, in the meantime, the family is uh, being kept on Christmas Island. Uh, they were on many different places and, and have now ended up on Christmas Island and living under terrible conditions. So, Aaron, does Tonika, the youngest daughter, have any unique arguments for asylum other than the arguments that were made for the parents and the elder daughter? The the, the arguments are not going to be uh, unique. Obviously, uh, under the current fast-track process, you get one opportunity to tell your story. And um, if you missed anything, you can't add in new information uh, uh, down the track. Uh, you have to reveal everything uh, in one go. And in the case of Piria and Nades, uh, they didn't reveal the, their whole uh, story, partly because of uh, the, the fear of authorities um, and uh, you know the, 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 the treatment Tamils received at the hands of Australian government meant that uh, they were quite reluctant to reveal their Tamil Tiger connections uh, in, in the early stages. And, and that's part of the reason why they were denied uh, a protection visa. So in the case of Tarunika, they do have an opportunity to reveal uh, their whole story. And, um, and so they, they could be, uh, uh, like if they're granted uh, the opportunity to make an application for asylum, uh, they may have a better chance uh, of uh, uh, getting uh, 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 their claim accepted. Um, just a, a question just about uh, before we look at the, the bigger picture, just again uh, uh, at their um, very specific case. I mean, obviously this is still going to go for many more months, uh, well into next year, and they'll be isolated and living in Christmas Island, as you said, in uh, pretty bad condition. And um, I, I think they're the only uh, detainees there. But is there a chance that if Tharunika is actually granted the PR or, or that the rest of the family may not be then allowed to stay? It'll be... If Tarunika is uh, granted a, a protection claim, um, obviously it is up to the, the government to decide how they uh, treat the family unit. Uh, generally, the, the standard practice is that uh, they wouldn't break the, the family unit 
Um, they have signed uh, UN conventions, uh, you know, that uh, uh, they're supposed to follow. Uh, obviously, in the case of another Tamil family last year, uh, the government didn't really care about uh, separating the family unit. They deported uh, a Tamil man after his wife was given a uh, chef visa. Um, and she had a, a newborn baby. And, and you know, despite, um, you know, her being given a protection visa, the, the man was sent back. So, you know, we don't know how the government is going to uh, respond if Taronika was given a permanent uh, pre- or protection visa. Um, well, we just hope that they, will, they wouldn't separate the family unit. And meanwhile, uh, while these uh, legal arguments are being prosecuted in the courts and there's there's clearly a legal strategy that I guess um, better minds than ours are devising and 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 executing, um, there is a, there's a campaign. Um, so win or lose in the courts, there is still a campaign pushing for um, the minister to exercise his discretion to have this family remain. Where is the campaign at? The campaign... Uh, this family was living in the community at no cost to Australia... Uh, it's on technical grounds they were taken into detention um and uh and you know the the way the Australian government has handled this family cost us so much money uh, unnecessarily wasting millions of dollars uh, to to destroy a, a family and um you know the the campaign is basically uh, led by people of Villa Villa. It's been centred around uh, a family that has uh, settled well in regional Queensland and and should be you know they've been good contributors to regional Queensland and they should be allowed to come back uh, to Villa Villa. Uh, and uh, you know those people are still involved in uh, in in calling for the uh, calling on the the government to uh, bring this family back. Uh, they have won uh, so much support from various politicians uh, in in Queensland, including uh, people like Barnaby Joyce and and Matt Canavan uh, came out during the week uh, supporting uh, uh, the family. Uh, also, you know, right wing commentators like uh, um, uh, Alan uh, Alan Jones and, uh, and and various others have come and supported this family. And on the other hand, we have got Labour Party uh, putting uh, its support uh, behind the family as well. Um, we, we're hoping that uh, this, uh, you know, this support from various sections of the Australian uh, community will uh, grow and, and eventually put pressure on uh, Dutton and, and Morrison to allow this family uh, to stay here. Uh, and and at Tamil Refugee Council, we don't believe in, you know, not just this family being allowed to stay here. We believe that all uh, refugees uh, should be uh, allowed to stay here, regardless of how they, uh, you know, how much they contribute to to the regional Queensland or to the Australian economy. Uh, people fled uh, wars. Uh, that we have supported uh, uh, as a country, and uh, and those people, you know, when they come here and seek uh, asylum, we should we should, you know, help them. Uh, we should look after them. 
Look, I think you've uh, made some uh, great points there, Aaron. And, you know, the whole issue of, of money, the whole issue, the fact that um, really before all this blew up, no one really knew who they were. The minister's got incredible discretion. As I heard uh, in a media commentary some time ago, they said uh, the minister, they could have allowed them to stay, given them PR a couple of years ago. No one would have known that this had even happened. But it's it's really the whole um, uh, framework of the anti-refugee uh, movement, the xenophobia and the anti-asylum uh, politics that's really been played out here. Uh, in the commentary, we see all the, the usual, uh, stuff about um, um, having the proper uh, channels, uh, people uh, can't uh, go around our laws, there's, um, there's the real refugees overseas, etc., etc., etc. Do you find that um, this campaign in the last few months has managed to um, open up that space for a bit more of uh, discussion around this issue, or is it really people are, are just uh, reacting to to this family and not really wanting to look at, at, the, at the greater uh, framework of the whole anti-refugee uh, policies and laws that we've got in Australia now? The, the campaign has largely been centred around wealthy refugees and, 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 you know, and, and all that. However, uh, my observation is that it has opened up a uh, conversation about uh, the reasons why uh, this family uh, fled Sri Lanka, um, and uh, you know how many other refugees are in similar situation, um, you know the the cost involved in um, uh, detention. You know th- there has been many commentaries uh, uh, around that as well, um, and and I I just hope that uh, people. Uh, will look at this family as uh, not just uh, uh, a family that uh, uh, had, that has been uh, treated badly by the Australian government, just, but just uh, one story of uh, hundreds of others who have been mistreated uh, by this government. You know, when when this family was removed uh, from Villa Villa and then taken to Gladstone and then to Melbourne to Perth and then brought back to Melbourne. Uh, Darwin and Christmas Island, you know, like when, um, you know, when all this has happened, it has cost us so much money. The government, uh, you know, was willing to, like, when they took them from Melbourne to to Darwin, there were 50 circle guards on the plane for four family members. And throughout the journey, the mother was separated from uh, her children the the mother was begging, uh, like the children were crying all the way through, and and the mother was uh, begging the children to be, uh, you know, begging the the circle guards to to allow her to uh, hold the children, and then they would, you know, like just imagine the the cost involved and then the 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 trauma uh, the children went through, you know, and uh, th- this government, um, you know, knows that uh, any. Uh, any treatment of this family and and you know any treatment that makes them look tough uh will will you know s- somehow appeals to a certain section of the uh, the, the australian people and, and that's why they uh, continue to uh, use uh, such tactics and and they have used it against 
so many uh, other people as well. Um, and, and, you know, we, I, I hope that uh, the, the discourse around uh, this family will not just be about, uh, you know, why is our government treating, you know, refugees who have contributed to Australian economy, rather, uh, why is our government determined to, uh, you know, not just destroy this family, but many others. And why is it making, why, why is the government determined to make themselves look tough? All right, well, thank you very much for, for that, Aaron. You, you've really encapsulated the, the whole in, inhumanity of the, of the policies of successive Australian governments over the last uh, 20 years, uh, really. But that's all the time that, that we've got for. We'll certainly keep up uh, uh, um, following up the story and we'll certainly encourage everyone to get involved in the refugee movement but that's all that we've got time for for you so thank you very much Thank you, thank you for having me That was Aaron Mulvaganam He is the uh, a founding member of the Tamil Refugee Council He's a Tamil, ref- he's a Tamil refugee himself but a refugee activist more broadly and an organiser with the FSU um, It does bring us to the end of the show this morning Thank you to all the listeners for tuning in uh, We will be back next Saturday with more news and current affairs from the Asia Pacific region uh, That is all from me, Giselle Hanna And that's all from me, Pierre Stay tuned to 3CR Radio, favourite community radio station for Palestine Remembered straight after this uh, commercial, not commercial, this community announcement. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.